Say, pull it out. Just pull out your Bible right now and hold it in your hands. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Just hold your Bible in your hand. I want you to say with me, this is God's Word. Eternal. It gives me life. It helps me to know the way. It's God's love letter. To me, I will read it. I will hide it in my heart. I will hold it high and love it dearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you see it, give somebody a big hug. How do you get this thing to turn around? Hello. I'll tell you what, it's finicky. I was going to say like a woman, but I don't want to get myself in trouble. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You know, I had, I had a dear friend of mine come to me just, just a moment ago, and he said, Pastor Steve, we got some terrible news this week. He said that his daughter has a, has a daughter, and his granddaughter went to college. She's been in college in her second year of college. And she took her Bible, and she handed it to her mother, and she says, I won't be needing that any longer. Friends, I want you to know there is an attack. There is an assault on our children. There is an attack from the pit of hell. Listen to me. The Bible says, in their knowledge, they have become fools. In their knowledge, they have become fools. And the Bible says, the fool says there is no God. The fool says there is no God. And 80% of our kids leaving our churches and going to secular colleges, they give up their faith. Now, I'm going to tell you why they give up their faith. Not because what we believe is shallow, not because of what we believe is, 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 doesn't make sense. It's because they don't know what they believe. Listen to me. They don't know what they believe. We haven't done a good job in equipping our kids to defend their faith. And they get swallowed up, not because we don't have the truth, not because we don't embrace the truth and know that it makes sense. But they get in the classroom and they're filled with, you know, 500 students or 300 students or 100 students and they feel so intimidated. And then this professor, who's a smart man, he's got to know something because he's smart. She's intelligent. The Bible says in their wisdom they became fools because they did not choose to retain the knowledge of God in their hearts. And now... They're, they have strongholds in their life, and as a result of that, they want to, to influence and change the hearts and minds of our children. Listen, eternity is on the line. Listen to me. Eternity for your children is on the line, and we've got to do a better job of training our children on how to defend their faith. The Bible says that we need to have a reason being always prepared, setting apart Christ as Lord, being always ready to give a reason for the hope that we have within us. And let me tell you, they're getting swallowed up by the world, and we've got to do a better job in training our kids. And as I was thinking about this series that we're going to be doing, tough questions, I've been thinking a lot about the young people, and so... If you're a young person, please stay engaged. Listen carefully to what I want to tell you today. Now, I know that about 80 to 100 of young people are in life groups right now. And they're getting ministered to and they're getting discipled. And as a result of that, I knew on Friday night that we really need to have Prame Isaac, who is an apologist, who is a brilliant Christian, non-compromising, lover of God, brilliant 
defender of the faith. And I said, Prem, I need you to do a couple of things. Number one, I need you to speak to the students at our school. You see, at Valley Stream Christian Academy, we want to prepare our children so that when they go to college, they won't be swallowed up by the lies, the half-truths, and the manipulation of the enemy. So he's going to be speaking at our school. And then Friday night, he's going to be doing a seminar for about two hours. And I want to encourage you, if you have a young person, tell them this is mandatory. If you don't go to this, you don't eat for a week. Make it mandatory. Say, I want you to go. I want all the young adults to be there this Friday night because I know it's going to strengthen your faith. What we want to do is strengthen your faith as much as possible so that you'll be ready to give a good reason why you believe in God. And then Sunday morning, he's going to be here in three services. And then Sunday night, we're going to have a seminar, 6 to 8 o'clock. Tell everyone about it so that we can really reach out not only to those that we love, those that we know in our community and our neighbors and our friends, because God, he wants to do a great thing. Now, before I preach this morning, I need to do something. Uh, I have the best assistants in the world. I have the best assistant pastors in the world, associate senior pastors in the world. And uh, I got to tell you, they make me look good, and they're the better half of who I am. And Pastor Henry, he has celebrated a 47th birthday on Wednesday, and we want to sing happy birthday. So he's down. Now, listen to me. He's actually downstairs in the cafe, and so he can hear us. He can't see us, but he can hear us. Are you ready? Happy birthday to you. Yeah, you're in the cafe. I see you. Happy birthday to you. Yeah, you have a smashing week. Happy birthday, Pastor Henry. Happy birthday. Come on. Give it up for Pastor Henry. We love you. We love you, Pastor Henry. We love you. Amen. Amen. And my secretary also enjoyed a birthday last night. So on the way out, would you give her a big hug, Gabrielle, and tell her happy birthday as well. Amen? Let's give Gabrielle a big hand. I love my staff. I love my staff. Couldn't do it. I was away all week, actually two weeks. I've been in three different places. I've been in Pennsylvania. I've been in Toronto, and I was in Syracuse, New York, in the city. We got to speak to about uh, two or 300 pastors and leaders about Convoy of Hope, what God is doing as a 1,000 leaders came from all over the world to convene in New York City to create movements all over their city. And I was honored to be able to speak with Luis Palau. Anybody know who Luis Palau is? I got a picture. You want to see it? No, I'm just kidding. Luis Palau. My daughters love Luis Palau. They were like, oh, daddy, there he is on K-Love. You know, and this is Luis Palau. <laughs> and uh, so I got a picture with Luis Palau, and we got to share and talk together and, and share uh, to a, a couple of hundred pastors what God is doing through prayer and through scripture reading and through compassionate outreach to the world. But this morning, I want to continue my series entitled Tough Questions. And the truth is, all of us have tough questions in our life. Everyone has tough questions about God. And if we would be honest with one another, we've asked ourselves those tough questions from time to time. It's come in our hearts, come in our minds. And it's not wrong to ask the questions. You know, Josh McDowell actually tells us that we've got to go through that process of asking the tough questions and then finding the answers. Finding the answers in God's Word and finding the rational very logical answers about God, the existence of God. Everyone has questions about why God allows people to suffer. And last week, Mike Brown tackled that. And I want to encourage you to get, to get that CD. Now, I want you to also know that we have this CD available to you. It's actually a DVD. Um, and it is a debate with a Jewish rabbi, Michael Brown, debates a, a rabbi, and it's called Who is the Real Kosher Jesus? And I want to encourage you, I'm going to talk about it in a little while, but Rabbi Shmuley, he actually tells Jewish people to reclaim Jesus, that, that the Christians have distorted who Jesus is, and that Jews need to actually reclaim Jesus as a prophet or as a good rabbi or a good teacher, but he was not God. And I want to encourage you, you can go down in the cafe and purchase this DVD. It'll be life-changing. It'll help you uh, and equip you to know who Jesus is. Now, in my own personal life, I grew up in this church all my life, and um, since I was six years old, and uh, when I was 19, I embraced Christ as my Savior. Man, I was so, I was so filled with joy. 
I was so, I was on a high. I remember just really being excited about loving Jesus, radical. I went into my college. I went everywhere, and I was preaching Jesus as Lord. And one day, it was almost like, it was just like I woke up, and I had this thought in my mind. How do I know that Christianity is the only way? How do I know that Jesus Christ is the only way? What about Hinduism? What about Muslims? What about Jewish people? What about all these other people? And how could it be that Jesus is the only way? I believe the most controversial issue in history is the question of Jesus' deity and the orthodox position that declares that Jesus is the only way for a man or a woman to get to heaven. In fact, the truth is most people would simply coexist very peacefully with Christianity if orthodox Christianity would simply do one thing. They would embrace the lie that there's many paths to God. They would concede and say that Jesus is only one way to get to heaven, but not the only way to get to heaven. You see, the truth is every major religion in the world concedes that Jesus really existed and that Jesus was a good man, but he was not God. In fact, if you talk to most Jewish people, they will tell you that they believe that Jesus was a good prophet that he said some good things, that Jesus not only said some good things, but did some good things, that, that Jesus even said some very power, powerful things that we can learn from, that Jesus could have been a good rabbi and a good teacher, but he was not God. And Rabbi Smuley is really encouraging Jewish people to embrace this Jesus, this good man, and deny the fact that he was God and certainly that he was the only way. Now, if you want to enrage a Jewish person, tell them that Jesus is the only way. Now, if you ask a Muslim what they think of Jesus, they will tell you that Jesus was a good prophet, that he was a prophet in the line of Abraham and Moses and Mohammed. And Mohammed being the, the last and greatest prophet of all. And that the truth is Christianity has distorted the truth of Jesus. They have distorted the scriptures because Jesus really never died on the cross. There was no need for Jesus to die on the cross because each and every one of us have to take responsibility for our own actions in our life. And so Jesus never really died on the cross. He was not, certainly was not God. Now, if you ask a Hindu what they believe about Jesus, a Hindu would tell you that you can add Jesus to all the other gods that they have, that Jesus can be just one of the millions of gods that they have. And if you need that Jesus God, you can pull him out and he'll help you when you need him because he's one of the many gods in this world. In fact, if you speak to the average religious and even non-religious person concerning faith in Jesus, most people will say it's perfectly fine to believe in Jesus just as long as you don't push Jesus on me. Just as long as you don't try to convert me. Just as long as you admit that there's many paths to God and that Jesus is only one way, but not the only way. You see, the real issue for most people is that, that we say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. In other words, what makes people, religious people, extremely uncomfortable, what makes people of other religions even greatly agitated is the fact that Christians advocate that Jesus is the only way, that we must repent of our sins, we must confess Jesus as Lord, not Mohammed, not just simply following the Ten Commandments, but confess Jesus as the only way to heaven and place our trust fully in Jesus alone. Wow, that is a bold statement. You know, that statement actually elicits the greatest of agitation in the souls of so many non-Christians around the globe. In fact, this is the reason why most Christians are persecuted today. Because Christians claim that Jesus is the only way. 
In fact, even in the times of the, of, of the, the Roman emperors, where the Roman emperors wanted to be God, that the Christians would not bow to the Roman emperors. Nero, he actually, uh, he actually crucified many Christians and, and lined his driveway with crucified Christians and, and set them on fire so that they could become human torches because he was so angry at this sect, this Jewish sect that believed in a Messiah and they would not bow to him because they would only make their allegiance and bow to the Lord Jesus Christ. All through history, Christians have been persecuted because they hold to the fact that Jesus is the only way. After all, think about it. To the non-Christian, that's got to be a very arrogant statement. But where did Christians get this statement from? They got it from Jesus himself. I said they got it from Jesus himself. In fact, Jesus said, I want you to turn to John chapter 14, verse 6. John chapter 14, verse 6. And Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No man goes to the Father but by me. In other words, Jesus said, I am the only way to God. He said, I am the only way to heaven. I am the only way that someone can understand truth. I am truth. He said, I am the truth about God. I am the truth about heaven. I am the truth about eternal life. I am the life, he said. In fact, he said to Martha, if a person believes in me, though he should die, yet he should live, because I am the resurrection and I am the life. Jesus said, I have come to give you life, and that life more abundantly. He said, in me and through me is truth. In me and through me is the way. In me and through me is the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said, you can't get to God by any other means. If you don't go through me, you don't get to God. If you don't go through me, you can't get to heaven. If you don't go through me, you can't spend eternity with God. In fact, I want you to turn to John chapter 3, verse 16. Everybody knows this verse, but I want to read on from there. We stop there because the truth is, if we read John 3, 16, it's wonderful. It's unbelievable. You can fit it with all these other religions. Why? Because for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have, what? Everlasting life. We like that. He's one God. He's one way to heaven. No, but Jesus goes on from there, and he says in John chapter 3, verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Everybody say through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Everybody say one and only son. This is the verdict that light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because of their evil deeds. They have not come to the light. They don't want to come to the light. Why? Because Jesus is the light. He said, I am the light of the world. And so he illuminates the minds of people. He illuminates our hearts, and he is the answer to our sin problem. And so the truth is this makes people very angry. The statement, this very statement wrangles people like none other. And it's been called a very arrogant, very bigoted, very narrow-minded and divisive statement. In fact, this is the reason why the religious people actually crucified Christ. Now, I want to say something. I want to tell you that, that, that not all Jewish people are opposed to this. There are many Jewish people that are embracing Jesus as Messiah. There are many Jewish people that are embracing God's Son. In fact, did you know that Jesus' early followers were Jewish? Come on, somebody. And so there was a religious sect of Jews that were very religious, and they were evil. But not all Jewish people were evil. Not all Jewish people rejected Jesus. In fact, there were hundreds and thousands, in fact, millions of Jews that embraced Christ during the times of Christ and beyond. Look in Jerusalem. The Bible says that 3,000 were added to the church on the first day, and then they multiplied and multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. And some theologians believe that there was a million-plus believers just in a few short years in Jerusalem. So, so Jesus is Jewish. Everybody say, Jesus is Jewish. Jesus. Say it again. Jesus is Jewish. Jesus. Amen. And Jesus loves the Jews. 
And we ought to love the Jews, and we ought to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But notice why they actually crucified Christ. Look, if you would, to John chapter 8, verse 58. John chapter 8, verse 58, and Jesus is having this dialogue with the religious leaders, and he's getting very blunt with them and very forthright. And notice what Jesus says in John chapter 8. Let's start with verse 54. And Jesus replied, I glorify myself. If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. And if I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not but 50 years old. And the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham? They said, you're not even 50 years old yet. And you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. I like it in the King James. Verily, 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 truly, 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 I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was, I am. Wow. Now Jesus is referring back to the burning bush. How do I know that? Because Jesus was saying to them that he was the same God in the burning bush, the I am, the one who was and is and always will be, the eternal self-existing God. Moses said, who shall I say sent me? And God said, tell them that the eternal self-existing God has sent you. And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am that eternal God. How do I know that the Jews knew exactly what he was saying? Because notice what they said next. Go with me to John chapter 8, verse 59. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple. Hey, here's the truth. The truth is they believed that they were justified in stoning Jesus because Jesus, being a mere man, made himself God. So they believed that they were justified in putting Jesus to death because they believed that he was a mere man and he was making himself out to be God. Come with me again, would you please, to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 25. Pull your Bible out. I'm teaching today, and I want you to learn. Verse 25, Jesus answered, I tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. But you do not believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hands. My Father who has given them to me is greater than you all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hands. I and the Father are one. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And, and, and what did the Jews do in response to this? And again... The Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy. Why? Because you, a man, make yourself out to be what? God. So he was saying he was God. He was saying that he's the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no man goes to the Father but by him. Someone once noted that other religious leaders say, follow me and I'll show you how to find truth. But Jesus said, I am the truth. Other religious leaders say, follow me and I'll show you the way to salvation. But Jesus said, I am eternal salvation. Other religious leaders say, follow me and I'll show you how to become enlightened. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Other religious leaders say, follow me and I'll show you the many doors that lead, the many paths that lead to God. Jesus said, I am the door. And if you want to get to God, you've got to go through me. Somebody say amen. amen. Well, this is not uncommon for Peter to pick up this theme because Peter declares in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no one other. He said, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which a man can be saved. That salvation is not found in no other than Jesus Christ. That God has given us the name of Jesus, the person of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that he is the way. 
He's the truth and the life. He's the door to have peace with God and to receive eternal life. This, my friend, makes people extremely angry. Lee Strobel, who is the writer of many books, he was an atheist who really set out to disprove the existence of God and turned out to become a Christian. And you want to write this down, Lee Strobel, A Case for Christ, and pick that up at a local bookstore. A Case for Christ. And Lee Strobel says that making the statement that Jesus Christ is Lord is not an arrogant statement, but the most compassionate statement we can say to the whole entire world. That it is simply the most important statement that we can deliver to the world. And so as we look at that, then we've got to ask some tough questions. Let's ask some tough questions. Here's the first one. If we're going to answer that Jesus is the only way, then we've got to answer this question. Aren't all religious, religions basically the same? I mean, when you strip them all down to the basics of every religion, isn't every religion the same? It's not at all. You see, the truth is, Many of the major religions, if not all the major religions, start with this premise that you've got to be good. That somehow you've got to do good works. All religions lead to the same God, some religions would say. But the truth is, every other religion is based on people doing something through good works. Their good works are there to earn something for them, to earn a heaven, to earn God's love. To earn a new, reincreated life. To be something different in the next life. To earn a sense of goodness and peace with God. They're all attempts to reach up to God. The difference between all other religions of the world and Christianity is that all the other religions of the world reach up to God. They stretch up to God. But Christianity, my friend, is God reaching down to man. Come on, somebody. It's God saying, I love you, and I want to reach down to you that you can't do it by yourself, and I'm reaching down to you in your state wherever you are. You see... Jesus taught the opposite of everyone else. Jesus said, no one could ever be good enough to get to heaven. Jesus taught the opposite of all other major religions, that, that you can't be good enough in yourself. Paul says it this way, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. No one could ever be good enough to reach up to God but God, in his love, reached down to man. But he didn't just simply reach down to man, but God paid the price for man's sin. You see, the truth is the reason why many people believe that you can have many paths to God, whichever one you like, whichever one you, know, you pick is okay, is because they don't understand the sin problem. You see, until you understand the sin problem, you can never understand the solution. Let me say that again. Until you understand the sin problem, you cannot understand God's solution to the sin problem. And so many people in this world and the major religions are saying, yes, I realize I have sinned, but at the same time, I, I can live a good life on my own. I can choose to be good on my own. Many of the other religions say that innately we are good people and good can always overcome the evil. Christianity says no, we've been infected with sin. That sin passed on from one man to another man to another man and that we have been bit by the snake of sin. And as a result of that now, instead of doing what is right, we have a propensity to do what is wrong. Like Paul the Apostle said, what a wicked man that I am. I know to do right, but I don't have the power to do what is right. So Christ says we don't have the power within ourselves to always do the right thing. And we have a sin problem. You know, the truth is, if we look at the Ten Commandments, we might say, well, those Ten Commandments are there to help us, to show us what to do, what, what is right or wrong. And the truth is, yes. We should look at the Ten Commandments because they bring us an understanding of what is right. But they do not give us the power to do what is right. It's like that stop sign. You know what? I've seen some of you. You've blown past those stop signs. I know. It just says stop, but it has no power to make you stop. The police officer has power to make you stop. 
And the law doesn't have power to help us to do what is right. In fact, Paul the Apostle said the law was given as a schoolmaster to lead us to a point where we would recognize that we're bankrupt. We can't do the right thing all the time. We can't do the right thing because we don't have power and we need a new power to come inside of us. We need a savior to save us from this wretched man that we are so that we can start to do the right thing. The Ten Commandments was a schoolmaster to lead us to the savior. How do I know that? Because you might say in this room, well, you know what? I've done a good job in following the Ten Commandments. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever put something before God in your life? I mean, sometimes you think, well, you know, I'm working really hard. But you feel at other times that, you know what? You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I put, I put other things in my life before God. Let me see your hands. Let me see your hands. Yes. The rest of you, I'm going to get to the next commandment. That'll help you out. How many of you have ever lied in your life? Let me see your hands. All right? Some of you that don't have your hands up, you're lying right now. How many of you have stolen something before? Let me see your hands. All right, let's go back to the lying again. All right? Let's go back to the lying again. You know, God said, I need to become number one in your life. I am number one. Right? Don't have any other gods but me. I am number one. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Ah, I'm good on that one. Okay, li listen, listen. We get to the last commandment, and Jesus says all the commandments hinge on two commandments. What are they? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen? So if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to steal. You're not going to say bad things. How many of you have ever gossiped about somebody else? Let me see your hands. Okay, let's go back to the lie one again. You know, when you talk about somebody, you're stealing. You're robbing from them. What are you robbing? Their good name. Their reputation. Come on, somebody. Right? And so Jesus says, hey, if you really think that you're really good, if you really think that you're, you follow the Ten Commandments, then the last one says this, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife and thy neighbor's goods. Uh-oh, that puts us all in the same place. How many of you have ever been jealous because somebody got a raise and you didn't get the raise? How many say, boy, oh boy, if I could do it, if I could get away with it, I'd do it. Somebody said, you know what, I've never murdered somebody, but you wanted to. Don't look at your neighbor right now. That's not a good time. That's not a good time to look at your husband or your wife. It's not a good time. But Jesus says, thou shalt not even want to do it in your heart. Why? Because God doesn't only look at the sins of commission, the things that we've done, the sins we've committed. God doesn't only look at the sins of omission, the things that we've left out. James says to know to do good and not to do it is sin. But he also looks at the heart. In fact, Jesus, he, he really enraged the Jewish people, right, or, or the religious Jewish people that were so religious that they didn't love God. He said, you're whitewashed sepulchers. On, on the outside, you do the right thing, but on the inside, there's adultery. On the inside, there's murder. On the inside, there's jealousy. In fact, I make you really jealous, he said. That's one of the reasons why they wanted to crucify him. Can you imagine? He raises Lazarus from the dead. And while he's raising Lazarus from the dead and all the people are, are celebrating, the Jews, uh, the religious Jews that didn't love God, they were plotting how to kill Jesus. You'd think they'd be celebrating. Wow, they were jealous, right? And so God is a holy God. And the problem is, is that if you might say, well, I can get to God any way I want, any path, then you don't understand how holy God is. You see, here's the problem. Most religions will say, I admit that I do wrong, I sin. But they cannot grasp the holiness and the justice of God. You see, they get the whole thing, all have sinned, but they don't understand that all fall short of the glory of God. That's the problem. You see, God is a just God. In order for God to be a loving God, we love that about God, he's got to be a just God. Now, in my foundations class, I gave this illustration. I want to give it again today because I think it's apropos. Say I was a judge in a court of law, and two people committed the same exact crime. I mean the exact same crime. And they stood before me, and one of the people that committed a crime was my blood brother, my brother Anthony, all right, or Frank, my blood brother. And, 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 and I had this other fellow standing next to me, or in front of me, and I don't know him. I don't know him from Adam. He's not Italian. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and I asked them, how do you plead? And both of them say, we plead guilty. And I turned to my brother, and I said to my brother, you're my brother, just get out of here. I didn't see it. 
Would that be just? Let me ask you, would that be just in the balcony? Is anybody awake in the balcony? That's the bleacher creatures, you know? Give me the wave. Come on, give me a wave. Yes, that's it. Woo! No, let, no, 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 no. Let's start from that side. Everybody stand up and give me a wave. Go ahead. That's it. Wow. All right, go ahead. Yeah, look, 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 look. Woohoo! Do it again on that side. Go ahead. Go ahead. Give the balcony a big hand. Come on now. Woohoo! All right, one more thing I want the balcony to do right away, all right? Go, just, just do it one time for me. Derek Jeter. You see, it, would it be, we're going to have a prayer line for you at the end of the service. Not serious denial right there. Uh, like 20 games out of, no, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, just kidding. Uh, but but here, here's the deal. It wouldn't be just. It would not be righteous. It would not be right for me to tell my brother, you can get off and tell this other person, no, you, you have to be punished to the maximum, right? It's got to be the same every time. And God can't just tell you, I'm in a good mood today, so I'm going to let you go. In fact, the Muslim believes that they can somehow be good enough, and when they get to heaven, God's going to be in a good mood. If he's in a bad mood, you see, the Muslim believes in one God, and he believes that God will cast them into hell if their good does not outweigh their bad. And you see, when it comes to sin, when you sin against a holy and perfect God, that holy and perfect God has to be just, and he has to judge sin exactly the same every single time. So if God says, don't lie, and you lie, then he has to judge you for that. If God says, don't steal, and you steal, he has to judge you for that. If God says, don't even have it in your heart, he's got to judge you for that. And in his righteousness, in his holiness, you must be separated from God throughout all eternity, and he must punish you for that because that's righteous. That's holy and justice, okay, righteousness. And he's got to do it the same every single time. Why? Because when God tells you to do something and you don't do it, he's got to do something about it. If you were a parent and you told your son or daughter, don't do that, don't do that, and you keep on telling your son or your daughter, don't do that, and they keep on going, I don't care, I don't care. After a while, you've got to discipline them, right? You've got to be holy, righteous, and just. And so God has to constantly discipline us. That's the justice of God. And it's got to be equal the same for everyone. He can't be in a good mood one day and say, you can get into heaven, and no, I'm in a bad mood today. You can't go into heaven, you know? It's always got to be exactly the same. So in order for God to be loving, he's got to be just. Now there's another side of God. The other side of God is that he is eternally loving. He loves his creation. The Bible says God has loved you with an everlasting love. So we've got the justice of God and we've got the love of God. Now somebody has to pay for our sin. We can't just say God forgive us because in order for us to be redeemed, in order for us to be forgiven, in order for us to be justified, just as if we have never sinned, somebody has to pay for our sin. It's kind of like the little boy who's playing baseball in the house, and he's not supposed to, and he throws that baseball and hits the lamp, and it cracks into a million pieces, and he says to his daddy, daddy, I'm so sorry, and the daddy takes this little boy and puts him on his lap and says, I forgive you. Who has to still pay for the lamp? So God wants to forgive us, but somebody still has to pay for our sin. That's where Jesus comes in. Come on, somebody. That's where Jesus comes in. Why? Because Jesus was God the Son. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And God came in your place and in my place because we have been bitten with the snake of sin. And Jesus says to God the Father, I will take upon myself the sins of all mankind. I will take upon myself every person's sin. So that why? So that I can pay for their sins. When he poured out his eternal blood, every drop of his eternal blood was paying for your sin and my sin. So God could say, yes, I had to judge them because I'm a righteous and holy God. But Jesus took the punishment that was upon them so that they could have peace with me. Somebody say amen. amen. Now you might say that sounds good, but it's still narrow-minded. 
It's very narrow-minded to think that Jesus is the only way. Well, let me give you an example of that. Let's just say for a moment that I got bit by a snake. Or you got bit by a snake, because I don't want to get bit by a snake today. It's a rattlesnake. It's a poisonous snake, and you're going to die. In just a couple of hours, your throat's going to start closing up, and, and your veins, that stuff, that venom's going to go through your veins, and you are going to die. And I'm walking along the street, and I've got the serum in my hand, and I come and see that you're dying, and I say to you, take this serum. Take this serum. It'll, it'll, it'll help you. It'll rescue you from dying. And you look up to me and go, well, that's kind of narrow-minded. I want to do it my way. You know, I, I, I want to take this piece of gum out of my pocket, and if I could really believe mind over matter, I'm going to be better. Let me tell you something. You can do that all you want. In a couple of hours, you're dead. Because there's one solution. My, my sister, when she was born, she had jaundice. And jaundice happens because the liver is not working properly. And so the doctor told my parents that, that my sister had to be put under a light, a lamp. But somehow this lamp kick-starts the liver so that, that, that the liver can start working. Now suppose that you had a daughter that was born and she had jaundice. And the doctor said to you, listen, all we have to do is put her under this lamp and she'll be better. Would you say to the doctor, doctor, that's pretty narrow-minded. Let me figure it out on my own. No, you would give that little child over to the doctor. Why? Because you see those, those diplomas and those degrees on the wall, and you know that you can trust in this doctor and what he says. And as a result of that, you're going to place this child into his hands because there is one solution, not three solutions. What if, what if you said to the doctor, no, you know, doc, I think you're a really nice guy, but maybe we'll just take the baby home and, and we'll, we'll scrub the baby really good with soap and then we'll bleach the baby. <laughs> Hello? And the doctor's saying, no, there's a solution. Here it is. I am providing for you the solution. All you have to do is trust in the solution. You see, it's not arrogant. It's not narrow-minded to think that God would love us so much that he would give us a clear solution. How mean and cruel would it be for God to say, you know what? You got a problem. You go figure it out on your own. And whatever you decide is good enough for me. You see, that's not arrogant. We have a disease called sin. And God says to us, this is the remedy. Your way may seem right, but it always leads to death. Your way may seem rational, but it leads to death. Your way may seem peaceful, but it leads to death. Your way may seem logical, but it leads to death. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. So frankly, Christianity is not snobbish. It's very loving because it's saying you have a problem and God has given you the solution. Number two, quickly. The second question is Christianity exclusive of every other religion? Is Christianity exclusive of every other religion? Have you ever heard someone say, but well, how is it that Christianity is the only religion and why is it that only certain people are allowed in? In other words, only certain people are welcome in Christianity. Absolutely not. Let's, let's just say for a moment that you wanted to get into a very exclusive club. It was a golf club, and it was in Hawaii. Let's just, you know, if we're going to dream, let's dream big, you know what I mean? Like Hawaii. And it was a very exclusive club. And this club told you that the only way you can get into the club is if you do good things. If you somehow get enough wisdom, then you can get into this club. If you really try hard to make the owner of the resort happy you can get into this club if you fulfill certain religious requirements you know the truth is despite their greatest efforts some people are just not gonna make the grade they're not gonna get in on the other hand let's say club number two says to you no matter who you are white black African Italian German Haitian 
whoever you are, rich or poor, whatever you've done in your life, good or bad, you're all welcome in this club. In fact, let's go one step further. Let's just say that you get to the club thinking you're going to have to pay. You pull out your wallet and you got your MasterCard in your wallet and you pull it out and the guy looks at the list and says, oh, excuse me, sir. Steve Malazzo came an hour ago and paid the bill for you. What would you say? Would you call me up and say, that's so narrow-minded, I can't believe you paid the bill. <laughs> I'd hope you'd call me up and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. See, Jesus paid the bill, and now Christianity actually isn't narrow-minded. It isn't exclusive. It's saying, whosoever will, let them come. Anyone can come. You see, it's the very opposite. All other religions say you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this, and God will let you in. God says, no, you can't do anything. I've done it all. I paid in full, and now all are welcome to come. Come on, somebody. All are welcome in God's kingdom. Doesn't matter who you are. How loving could that be that we serve such a loving God that doesn't matter what you've done in your life in the past, God will let you in because it's been paid in full. I love what Jesus says in John chapter 3. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, you are whosoever. 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 Whosoever means you, it means me, it means anyone who will come. I love Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. And the Spirit says to the bride, come, and let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is thirsty come, and whosoever will. Everybody say, whosoever. Whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. You see, you decide this morning. But always remember this one thing. As we're almost closing this morning. Remember this one thing. The door will always be open. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone will open the door, I will come in. I love Christianity because it's not exclusive. It's all inclusive. I like going to those retreats and those resorts. All inclusive. Everything. Everything. But let's answer one last question. If it's all inclusive and Jesus already paid the price and if Jesus is the only way, then of course you're going to ask this question. If Jesus is the only way, what about people that have never heard? What about people in unreached people groups around the world that have never heard the name of Jesus before? I, I can't answer this question totally, but I think I have some good things that God has shared with me this week that I want to share with you about this. Number one, write this down. What about the people that have never heard of Christ before. Number one, the first thing, and follow me all the way through this because some of you are going to start saying, what is he really saying here? So follow me on this. Ready? Number one, God is a righteous God and a righteous judge. And Abraham says to God, when God is about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham says, God, you're a righteous God and I know the judge of the whole earth will do what is right. He will judge rightly. Abraham appeals to the righteous judge of the whole earth. And so number one, we've got to start with the foundation that God is a righteous judge and he will always do what is absolutely right. Number two though, God, write this down, God has put his laws and conscience in every human person on this earth. No matter where they live, God has wired them to have a conscience. Listen to me. This is so important. I want you to read this with me. Come with me real quick. Romans 2, 12. Romans 2, 12. I'm almost done. Romans 2, 12. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law, do by nature things required by the law. They are law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. Since they show that the requirements of the law are written, listen to me, on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. This will take place on the day when God 
will judge man's secrets through Christ Jesus. And this is why I declare the gospel, Paul says. So I'm not suggesting for one moment that anyone can get into heaven without Jesus Christ. But I am suggesting this. Number one, God is a righteous judge. Number two, God has put his conscience and his law in the, in the souls of mankind. And number three, listen to me quickly. And number three, God has revealed himself through nature. God has revealed himself through nature. Listen to me. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Turn with me. Romans 1, 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their, listen to me, wickedness. Everybody say wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them, for since, listen to me, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that man, listen to me, man is without excuse. Number four, God is a righteous judge. God has placed his conscious law in them. God has shown them. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. The Bible says that because he created all these things, man should look up and say, there is a God. I want to find that God. I want to know that God. But there are people that are wicked in their heart that they are turning away from God, resisting God, resisting God, resisting God, resisting the truth that there is a creator. When they look up, they resist the logical understanding of a divine creator. Next week, we're going to help you understand why we believe that. But when you do that, you harden your heart, you harden your heart to the point where God has to give you over to what? A reprobate mind. Romans chapter 1 says, because they did not want to retain, listen to me, the knowledge of God, understanding the things that he created, he gave them over to their own reprobate minds and hearts, and they became wicked in their heart, and they turned the truth into a lie, worshiping that which was created instead of the creator. Now listen to me. Follow me for a moment. Because, number four, God has put eternity in the hearts of man. Write that down. God has put eternity in the hearts of men. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. It says, God has put eternity in the hearts of men so that they may seek him. Listen to me. They may seek him. They may have an inclination to seek God. And God said, draw unto me and I will draw unto you. Seek me out and you will find me. Now, here, here, here's the deal. This is very critical here. Don Richardson was a missionary several years ago. And he wrote a book entitled Eternity in Their Hearts. Eternity in Their Hearts. You might want to pick it up. And in his book, Don Richardson gives accounts of pagan tribes around the world, unreached people group that actually were prepared. Listen to me. They were prepared in their hearts to hear the message of the gospel. Just like in the Old Testament, they were looking for the Messiah. There are people groups around the world that are so ready and prepared to hear the gospel. In fact, let me give you a couple of instances of this happening. The Santel tribe in, in, in India was a tribe that they, they, they didn't know the Lord, but they had a similar account of the creation story and the fall of man and they were waiting for someone to come and show them how they could be reconciled to God. The Karen tribe in Burma had that same understanding. They wrote down the story of creation, not, not the biblical account, but the story of creation and that there was a fall and as a result of that they were separated from God and a missionary actually went to Burma to preach the gospel. When he got there, the tribal chief said to them, they fell on their face and they said, we've been praying for this white man that we saw a vision and we heard God say, when the white man comes, he will bring the book. 
There were stories of that happening in Iraq today, in the Middle East, where people are crying out to God. They want to know God, and God speaks to them audibly and says, my son Jesus Christ is the one that you ought to worship. You'll find accounts of that over and over again. One of the most powerful accounts of this is Don Richardson as he goes to work with this tribe in Papua New Guinea. He had gone there and they were cannibals. How would you like your first missionary assignment to the cannibals? For those that don't know what a cannibal is, they eat people's brains and heads and take their, cut their heads off. But he had such a passion for these people that he went there with his wife. And after several years, these tribes began to trust him but they would not receive the message of the gospel through Jesus Christ, the peace child. And he wept and he labored in prayer for these people because they just couldn't understand why God would send his son as a peace offering for their sins. Things started to really disintegrate amongst the tribes and the tribes started warring against one another. It was so bad. He gives accounts where they would slaughter masses of people. And they were barbaric as you could be. And it seemed as if the both of the tribes would be destroyed. They would literally destroy each other. And this missionary kept on praying and praying for these tribes. Well, the chiefs of the both tribes got together one day and they started talking. And they had some heated discussions about peace. And then they left and they went back to their tribes. Well, the tribal leaders invited the missionary to come out early in the morning for a ceremony. When the missionary came out, he saw both tribes, one tribe on this side and one tribe on this side. And they had their war, they had their war swords and spears. And it looked like they were actually going to come together and destroy one another. And he began to think, what's going to happen? I prayed for these people and they're going to destroy each other. And it seemed as if they were poised for war. And then all of a sudden he saw on one side, on one of the tribes, that one of the war men, he came to one of his wives and he took the baby out of his wife's hands. And the wife was screaming and the wife was begging this soldier, this warrior, to give back the baby. But this warrior ran over and he ran over to the other side and he placed the child in the hands of the chief of the other tribe. The missionary was startled. He didn't understand what they were doing. And then on the other side, they took a baby, the same thing, same reenactment of pain on the, on the heart and in the life of this, this mother as she, she, she had this child in her hand and this child was pride from this mother and the mother was screaming and this child was placed in this war lord's hands and and he ran over to the other side and he placed it in the hands of the chief and he ran back to his other side and the missionary realized that they were peace children that as long as that child was living as long as that child was kept alive from that tribe on both sides there would be peace and there would be no war amongst these two tribes. And at that very moment, the missionary realized God had just given him his opening to share the gospel with these tribes as he began to share that all men have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that everyone needs a Savior and that God provided the great peace child. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. And He preached about the peace child, Jesus, who was God's answer, God's child. And as long as you embrace that child, you will not live. But in fact, you will have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, 
I pray that you would touch every heart in this room, Lord. I know that there are questions, but I know that there are answers as well. Jesus, you are the answer. You're the peace child. You've come to make peace with man. You've come to be peace. You've come to give us peace. And so, my friend, if you're asking this pastor, is Jesus the only way, I emphatically say yes, yes, yes. If you're asking this pastor, is Jesus the truth, I emphatically declare to you, yes, yes, yes. Is Jesus the only way, the life? I say, yes. He's come to give you life and give you life more abundantly. He's come to give you life, eternal life. Why turn away from God's solution? Why try on your own to be good? Why try to please God when you know that you could never be sure that you're good enough to get to heaven by trying on your own? But, but the Bible says, these things I write unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. When I was 19 years old, gave my life to Christ. And there's one thing that I never doubt. I never doubt that I am going to heaven. Oh, I'm sure that I'm imperfect. And I make mistakes and I sin. But we have an advocate. Hallelujah. We have an advocate with the Father who said, Father, I went in their place. I took upon myself the punishment that they deserve so that they might have eternal life. I made peace. I am their peace child. And if you're here today, this morning, you say, Pastor, I'm not certain if I died today, I'd go to heaven. And I want to accept the peace child. I want to accept Jesus into my heart. I want to know for sure that if I died today, I'd go to heaven. I want you to raise your hand right now and say, Pastor, pray for me. God bless you. God bless you. Others that are here, yes, yes, yes. In the balcony, you say, Pastor, I'm not sure. I'm not certain if I died today. And I want to accept the peace child. I want to get right with God today. And I know that through this sermon today, you've convinced me that God has a solution. I want to embrace that solution today. I want Jesus to come into my life. I want you to raise your hand. Anybody else? Quickly, quickly. Time is moving. Why would you want to turn away such a great salvation? Why would you want to turn away the greatest solution to mankind? Let me tell you, one of the greatest proofs that Jesus is the solution is what Jesus does in a man's life. Oh, what Jesus does in a, in a woman's life. The greatest proof that Jesus is God's solution is, is not just simply what I say. And certainly it's what the Word of God says, but it's also the changed lives. Drug addicts, alcoholics, people that are lost, businessmen that are empty on the inside, giving their lives to Jesus. And Jesus bringing joy and hope and life and change into their life. Wow. If you raise your hand today, I want you right now. You say, Pastor, why do you make people do this? Because friends, Jesus went to the cross for you. He was willing to go to the cross for you. You can certainly stand for him. You can simply say, I want Jesus to be my solution. If that's you and you raise your hand, I want you to stand up right now. Wherever you are, stand right now quickly, 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 quickly. You say, I want Jesus to be my Savior, my Lord. In the balcony right now. You say, I'm not sure that if I die today, I'd go to, I want Jesus to be my Savior. Just stand, anybody. Just stand quickly, quickly. God bless you. Somebody else. You know, it takes courage. It's, it's not like a, a man be pan be you know, sissy kind of religion. Jesus died on the cross for you, my friend. He took the pain and the punishment for you so that you could give your life to him. Anybody else, you want to give your life to Christ today? Just stand to your feet quickly, quickly. Anybody else, quickly, quickly. God bless you. God, anybody else, quickly. Anybody else, stand to your feet. Young lady, you're such a, an incredibly courageous person. And I want to pray for you right now, young lady. I want to pray that Jesus Christ makes makes himself so real in your life and that you would do great things for God. Father, I pray for that young lady right now. Oh God, as she stood up and she said, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I pray today, God, that you would touch her life today. I pray that you would fill her, God, with your power. 
I pray that you would fill her with joy and let her know today her name is being written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Let her know today that she never has to wonder again whether or not she's going to heaven because you said to as many as received him he gave us the power to become children of God young lady today God is making you his child I want everybody else to stand with this young lady all across this place I want everybody else standing to your feet and I want you to raise your hand towards heaven right now and I want you to say with me Lord Jesus thank you you're God's solution to my sin problem Lord I'm a mess I'm a mess Lord I sin and there are times when I disobey but thank you God that you sent the solution thank you Jesus you became the solution I invite you today into my life into my heart and I ask you today make me clean Forgive me for my sins. Be my Savior and my Lord. Today, God, write my name in your book. Thank you for giving me eternal life in the name of Jesus. Amen. Come on.